Good morning, High Point. It's great to be here with you today. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Andy. I am the lead pastor here uh, at High Point Church. Thank you. We're going to jump right into the text uh, this morning. Uh, worship team, thank you for uh, once again leading us in worship. Can we do this, church? Sometimes it's, it's great to just honor those who have been serving uh, among you. Our worship team works really hard to help lead us in worship. Can we actually clap and just say thank you for all that they do? Yeah, you can stand up for that. I appreciate that. They do. Turn to Luke chapter 22 as we begin uh, this, this conversation, this sermon on what it means to come to the table. Luke chapter 22 it's a famous passage. There's paintings literally made of this particular moment in biblical history. It's called the Last Supper. Uh, we know it as communion or Passover. So here we are in Luke 22, verse 14. We start here. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Father, be with us as we read the word this morning. God, it is our desire to become more like you. It is our desire to know you. And we ask the areas in our life and our heart where we are blind that you would make us see. That you would help us in our hour and time of need this morning. Amen. I have a sinkhole that has opened up in my yard. True story. And over the last several weeks, we've had to have professionals come out and take a look at it. But I have to tell you, you go to bed one evening and your yard has dirt and it has grass and it has substance. And then you walk out to your car or your van the next day and a hole has literally opened up. It's unnerving. And if you're a pastor or are familiar with the Old Testament, the first thing you think of are the sons of Korah who were swallowed up by the earth because of God's judgment and wrath upon them. First thing that comes to mind. So there's the initial scan of your heart and soul. God, am I, am I doing okay? Is this my moment? And after a little bit of a soul check, the natural thing that comes to mind is I'm getting a flashlight. And I'm going to stick my head in this hole. And I'm going to see how far this thing goes. So that's what I did. And I have to tell you that it is, it's an unusual thing to see a hole that 
you discover after professionals come, runs about 14 feet deep. And there's a literal cavern that has begun to open up under parts of our yard. And so there is literally nothing there. It's empty. It's literally just emptiness. And there is, there's the crust of the earth that's kind of, you know, got it together. And then you stick your head into the hole and it's just cavernous underneath it. It's empty. And obviously the other empty thing that's coming is my wallet as I look to <laughs> fix this hole. But you never like to be in a moment as a pastor that preaches and teaches, I don't like being in situations where my personal life can be used as an illustration <laughs> in what's happening in the scriptures or what's happening in, in, in culture. But I have to tell you, I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me about this, that there's probably no easier illustration to understand than the idea of feeling empty. And that on the surface, everything may look good and it may look right and it may look clean and everything is in its right place. But if you really stick your head beneath the surface, the substance of what looks like is present is not actually there at all. And all of the things, no matter how much dirt I pack into this hole, the dirt continues to wash away. It's going somewhere. Where it's going, I don't know. I'll probably never know. And in the same way for us, spiritually speaking, with life, with relationships, many of us know the feeling of emptiness on the inside, of feeling lonely. Forbes magazine has, has loneliness and emptiness. I forget the exact number, but it is, it's never before in American history have people recorded feeling as lonely and as empty as they do right now. And therefore, we have, we're discovering as we spend all of this time investing in our jobs. Many of us aren't where we want to be in life, but even those that do find that it's unfulfilling. That the promise of more money doesn't actually satisfy the longing in their heart. They're still empty. Many times we find the relationships that we have, whether it's at the gym or whether it's at, 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 at a restaurant or a, or a club around a particular thing, we find ourselves unfulfilled, unsatisfied. There's a longing inside of us that has not been filled. And no matter how much we put into this cavern, it just doesn't stay there. It's like a bottomless pit. Welcome to my yard. And this is the story of which, what we're going to begin talking about is what do we do when our life feels empty? What do we do when we've invested so much and the return just simply isn't there? Are you with me this morning? Before we, we get that much further into the message, I want to take a moment and, and address something that's important for us culturally speaking. 
in the church, we haven't always done a great job at talking about some of these things that are maybe in the news right now or affecting relationships that you know. And when we talk about emptiness and particularly loneliness um, and that empty feeling inside, one of the things that, that, that people are doing in great numbers right now is they get to a place of emptiness and confusion. And they'll even get to a place where they'll take their life. And most everyone in this room now knows someone who has been impacted by suicide. And we're going to begin a message today on emptiness. But I also want to help you understand this. If you followed the news on Christian pastors, literally I am reading a book right now called The Explicit Gospel, and the pastor that wrote it took his life last week, one of the co-pastors that wrote it. Some of you know someone that, there's a student that has been attending our Every Nation Campus ministry at Kennesaw State who took their life just a few days ago. Suicide is a tremendously tragic thing, however you slice it. But one of the things that has made the church engaging in this conversation difficult is we haven't always known how to have conversations around mental health. And so people have walked away ashamed, people have walked away discouraged, people have walked away afraid to talk about what they're going through. And I want you to hear me with tremendous clarity this morning. We are talking about emptiness today. We're talking about loneliness today. And we're going to give you the gospel today. But sometimes there are things that you still need to see a doctor about. And there is absolutely, utterly no shame about that. In the same way that if my heart was beating irregularly, I could go to a doctor and I might get some medicine that might help regulate the rhythm of my heart. Sometimes our brains do the exact same things. And it's not an issue of us praying it out or you reading more of your Bible or putting a memory verse on your mirror. Sometimes we need professional help. And I want you to hear that and know this as we, as we look at, at, at Suicide Prevention Month, which is what we're in, Suicide Awareness. That you shouldn't be ashamed if, that, if those are some of the feelings that you have felt. Don't be ashamed. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. And I'm asking you not to keep it to yourself. I'm begging you not to do that. And my hope and desire is that this kind of church, the church we have here, is a place where people can bring who they really are to the table. And have people love them and walk with them and do their best to even shoulder their burden. Amen? Jesus, in some of his final moments, invites the disciples to the table and he shares a meal with them. One of the disciples that's sitting at this table is going to end up taking their life.
I can't help but wonder if Jesus is intentional in this moment when he brings the disciples to the table in his final moments, some of his final conversations, and he says, remember to do this. And when you do, remember me. Take the bread, pass it around. Take this cup of wine and pass it around. And when you partake of it, I want you to remember. This is my blood. This is my new covenant poured out for you. This is my, this is my body given for you. The disciples are getting ready to experience the kind of emptiness that they have never experienced before. Why? Because they've been walking and learning and being disciples of Jesus for three years. And in a moment, they are getting ready to deny him. In a moment, they are getting ready to betray him. Some of them have literally negotiated financial deals, Judas in this particular case, to betray Jesus. Others will be so afraid that they will deny even knowing Jesus to a peasant girl. I can't help but think that Jesus, as he looks at his disciples, knows exactly what they're getting ready to be going through. And they need to remember something. They need to remember this moment. Get together. Come to the table. Take this bread. Take this wine. And when you do, I want you to remember me and what I have done for you. It's great news for us this morning, even if you don't fully grasp the implications of it. I was at a conference a few months ago. And when I was at this conference, someone came up to me and, and, and began talking to me. And we, we were chatting and just talking about life. And then they began asking how my family was. And my kids were. And I, I realized I actually don't know who this person is, but somehow they know who I am. Maybe we knew each other from social media. And so I stuck out my hand and I said, I, I don't think we've actually had the pleasure of meeting. My name is Andy. And they said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so-and-so. I was in your church for a few years. Yeah. I used to pastor a church in Orlando before this one. And this person had been in our church for two years, and not only did I not remember their name, I didn't even remember their existence. That's always encouraging, isn't it? I remembered the husband when he came up, and it all started to come back to, it came back to me, okay? came back. But when we think about memory, you guys, we all have memory loss. We all have things that we forget. Everyone's forgotten somebody's name. Everyone has forgotten introduce, being introduced to someone. All of us have forgotten our keys someplace. All of you have been at the checkout line at Publix, and you've got all the groceries there, and they've scanned everything, and you go to get your card, and you realize, oh, no, where's my money? That happened to me last night. We all know what it looks like to, to, to forget something, we also all know the implications when you begin to forget something like your name. It's far more serious. 
When someone can't remember where they live or where they are. See, when you forget who you are and who you're with, who you're connected to, the ramifications of that are far more serious. You're at risk of bodily harm. You're at risk of being taken advantage of. You're at risk. And so we understand that when there are certain things that if you don't remember this anymore, this may be problematic of something greater going on beneath the surface. And when Jesus says to remember, anytime in Scripture you see that word remember, it's because what's getting ready to follow it is important and we have a tendency to forget it. Remember this. In other words, um, remember this. Don't forget this. And one of the ways I'm going to help you to remember is I'm going to tie my body and my blood, broken, given, spilled for you, to the most common, simple elements. That which you eat with the people that you love and that which you drink with the people that you love. And when you do these two things, I want you to remember me and what I have done. Luke twenty-two twenty. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Matthew says it like this in chapter 26. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The question that we have to ask ourselves beyond the bread and beyond the wine is what is it that Jesus is wanting us to remember? What does he want you to remember? He passes around a cup and a piece of bread. See, this wine represents Jesus' very blood poured out for what? The forgiveness of your sins. Now, nowadays, when you talk about sin and you talk about forgiveness, this isn't even an easy conversation anymore because most of us live uh, under the umbrella of I'm a pretty good person. I'm a good guy. I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a good, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm an upstanding citizen. And yet, when you spend time with a three-year-old or a four-year-old, it's amazing how they never have to be taught to be greedy. They never have to be taught to pitch a fit. They never have to be taught how to be furious and in a rage and throw a temper tantrum and do all the things that three-year-olds and four-year-olds can do. Some of you are laughing because you know this is true. There is something innate about sin inside of us. And if you are under the spell that you are basically a good person, I have bad news for you today. When we talk about getting together and coming to the table and being reminded that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, if you don't understand the magnitude of your sin, you will never grasp the magnitude of his sacrifice. You'll never be able to. And therefore, when we get together, it won't have the same feeling that it's supposed to have because you don't fully grasp what Jesus has really done for you. 
We have iPads. You know, I preach off of an iPad right here. We've got one more at the house. And if I were to take that iPad and I were to put it over my head, or if you were to take an iPad and somehow strap it to a helmet, and everywhere you went, that screen played what was going through your heart and your mind. This idea of being a pretty good person, I think, would go away really fast, wouldn't it? Because there'd be images that you would be absolutely, utterly ashamed of. Your insecurity would be put somehow in a video loop. Your anger towards somebody or unforgiveness for someone would be playing in a video loop. Sex, power, greed, insecurity, fear, anger, bitterness, rage, all the things would be showing on a screen, and let's be honest, we would all be guilty as charged. Now, create the totality of your life, and you can see how insanely high the amount of sin we are steeped in is. So when we talk about being a good person and doing right and doing good, as if somehow, if I can just do enough, I will outweigh the cosmic scale of my sin. We realize how futile this effort is. And so when Jesus looks at you and I and says, take this wine, take the juice, take this cup. When you take it, remember the blood of my covenant, this new covenant, is poured out for you the forgiveness of your sins. To forgive is a financial term. It means to stop payment. It means you. it is canceled. You are released. Jesus has 100% released you from the payment and penalty of your sin. Everyone sitting at this table is getting ready to leave this room and in a few hours literally betray Jesus. And he is reminding them in this moment that even though you blow it and even though you're going to blow it, I have great news for you. My blood is about to be poured out for you and when it does, it is going to purchase the forgiveness of your sins. You will owe nothing. Even though you have an enemy who would love nothing more than for you to be defined by what you do, you need to understand that you should be defined by what I did. And that is die for your sins and rise again on the third day victorious over sin, your sin, and death. Amen? We need to get together. We need to come together and be reminded of what Jesus has done. What Jesus has done. What's he doing in your life? Deep breath. What has Jesus done? And all of the things that you can make a list of that aren't going right, you know where you should begin is all the things that Jesus has done for you, all the things that are right. And that starts with the fact that all of your sins have been forgiven but jesus doesn't end there he doesn't he doesn't stop with that before i even get to the next point i'll I'll write i'll I'll say this that you owe a debt you can't possibly pay but jesus paid all of it in case you're a note taker and you love the big idea
We've done everything we can to remove consequence from conversations. We've done everything we can to remove pain. And because we've removed those two things from as much of our culture as possible, this idea of forgiveness, it doesn't resonate as deeply as it should with us. But Jesus, as I said a minute ago, doesn't end with that because he reminds us to take the bread as well. He took the bread in verse 19, he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this and do it in remembrance of me. Now, you may not recall this story by by listening to Jesus talk about communion. But if you are a disciple, Jesus has talked about bread and he's talked about life many times. In fact, Jesus recently had fed the 5,000, the little, Jesus fed 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread and a few fish. And in John uh, 6.35, he declared in front of this entire crowd, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In other words, Jesus is supposed to satisfy our soul. That hunger that you have, that sinkhole in your heart that never seems to be satisfied, that never seems to be filled. Jesus and relationship with him has something to say about that. When you sit around this table and you get together, I want you to do a few things. I want you to remember to take the cup and I want you to remember to take the bread. And when you do, remember the forgiveness of sins and the bread of life. My body given for you. My blood spilled for you for the forgiveness of your sins. The Rolling Stones said it really well. When I'm riding around the world and I'm doing this and I'm singing that. And I'm trying to make some girl who tells me, baby, better come back maybe next week. I can't get no satisfaction. Let me tell you something. Can't get no satisfaction. And the reality is no, no song has been more prophetic than all the money All the driving around, all the fame, all the power, all the publicity, all the things going your way, all the fine dining restaurants, never having to pay for this, every nice car, every person you've slept with, I promise you, will never be able to satisfy the deep longing that exists in your heart that only God can fill. Only God can do it. But the most amazing thing happens. And we get this wrong in American culture so much. It's never just about you and Jesus in this little alone context. He says, take the bread and he says, take the cup. But it's a group of people sitting around a table. Looking each other in the eyes and being asked to remember this moment. He didn't say, go to your prayer closet and remember this moment. Hey, go on a walk around your neighborhood and remember this moment. All good. Do that. 
But your love for Jesus and your celebration of what he's done is never designed to be just you and Jesus. It has always been designed for you to come to the table in a a, a circle, in a moment with other people where you have genuine relationship and you are known. People know your failures. They know your junk. And you're able to exalt the name of Jesus Christ and give glory to him because of who he is and what he has done. This is what he's done. Blaise Pascal, famous mathematician, says there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. Whatever you think you have is nothing without Jesus. What's amazing in this moment with the bread and Jesus reminding even the 5,000 that He is the bread of life, He has just fed a crowd of thousands. And this crowd was grumbling and they were getting frustrated that they needed something to eat. And Jesus still had compassion on their literal physical need and their physical desire. But as they're eating and they're filling their stomachs, he reminds them that the greatest blessing that he has for them isn't, what he, isn't what's in his hand. It's in literally who he is. And many times we mistake this idea of life being this this kind of thing that Jesus uh, offers like it's somehow the, the fourth course of dinner. It's the dessert. It's the extra. It's the little, you know, whipped cream on your pumpkin spice latte. As if somehow that's what life is. It's the extra that Jesus brings. That is not the case. Jesus doesn't really offer life. He is life. You got to catch that, church. Jesus isn't walking around just, you know, passing out all the things that you want in the, you know, the desires of your heart and the desires of your life. And when you get those and experience those in spiritual, meaningful ways, somehow you come alive and you know Jesus and you feel good about life. But you can be in love with the blessing more than you can actually be in love with the blesser. Jesus is life. Relationship with him is is life. It's not that he has this little extra thing to give. He himself is our life. He is the bread of life. His body, what? Given for you and for me. Amen. We're going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet here in just a second. You might see to the right or to the left table set up with both juice and bread. Many times we have communion at High Point during uh, our, our time of worship with, with music. But today we're going to do it differently. I'm going to invite you to get the bread. I'm going to invite you to get the juice and to go back to your seat. And we're going to take communion together in a collective moment. Amen? And in this moment, even though it looks different than it did in, in, in the scriptures, We're going to remind ourselves that Jesus' body was given for us and that his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins.
stand to your feet. As the music plays, you can begin to move to the, to the tables and begin to get the bread and juice and take it back to your seat, but don't take it yet. Take the bread. And before you put it in your mouth and eat it, I want you to look to the person to your right or the person to your left or both and say, literally out of your mouth, Jesus is my life. Person to the left, person to the right, take the bread. to the person to the right and then to the left and say, Jesus has forgiven all of my sins and all of your sins too. It's good to do. <laughs> it's good to come into the house of the Lord and be reminded that Jesus Christ is our life and that Jesus Christ has forgiven every single one of your sins. The writers in the New Testament, many times they begin their books of the Bible by saying, it is no trouble for me to remind you of the gospel, to remind you that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that the grave couldn't hold him, and then he stood up three days later victorious over sin and death and he did it for you 
his body given for you, his blood poured out for you. This is the Jesus that we serve. And we need to come to the table regularly and remind each other of the goodness of God in our lives. Amen. Father, this morning, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for this special time of remembrance where we remember Jesus Christ, the very commandment that he gave his disciples, he has given us, that we would remember that you are the bread of life, that your body was given for us. Nothing satisfies our heart and soul like you. Nothing, Lord. And Jesus, we thank you that you are the great forgiver of all of our sins. You have canceled the debt. We owe nothing. We are free to go and worship you with everything that we have. We exalt your name this morning, Jesus. It is for you. It is for all the glory due your name that we worship today. Amen. Amen. Church, you can have a seat. I'm going to give us one more thing. One more thing to consider as we wrap. One of the things that I that I I'm going to be giving more opportunities for for us moving forward again is moments to just return to Jesus. It's a misnomer that because we go to church or because you grew up in the South that somehow you know Christ or somehow that you know him as your savior or as your Lord. And I wanna give people opportunities today and even in the weeks to come to make a profession of faith. Right in your seat, right in your chair to declare that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and that he's your savior and that he's your Lord. So literally this morning, before we leave, if there's anyone who needs to put faith in Jesus this morning, I'm going to invite you to pray with me right here, right now, and put your faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We believe that he is who he says he is. He is the risen Lord. And this morning, we put faith in you. If you're sitting here this morning and you know you've been on the fence as to whether or not Jesus is really the Lord of your life, whether you've experienced his gift of salvation, then I want you to pray with me. Pray it only if you mean it. And say, Jesus, you are the king of my life and my heart. I give you everything today, and I choose to turn and follow you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and change my life.